Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Let Me Tell You a Story. Today's episode is pretty wild, but not in the way that you might expect when we talk about a murder. It's weird and creepy and gross in the most obscure, random, horrifying way without being horrifying on paper. So if that makes zero sense to you, you're just going to have to stick around and wait for it. And trust me, it's going to be so worth it. Are you ready, babe? Yep. On the night of February 19th, 1996, Michigan State Police received a call of a 1091C, which, according to the internet, is the code for an injured animal. So troopers Jeff Miazga and Tim Wagner were dispatched to the scene and thereafter found a cow who, brace yourself, babe, had been shot. Luckily for the cow, and in the face of the son of the bitch who shot it, the cow was okay. Just really pissed off on account of being shot, obviously, and was now running rampant, hence why the police were called. Where on the cow is it shot? Oh, I don't know. That it was okay. I mean, it's a cow. It's like a 400-pound cow. Yeah. I think you could shoot a cow anywhere and it would be okay. You could shoot a cow in the head and it would be okay? Probably not at close range, but maybe from far away. <laughs> Cows are really big. So? So I feel like they shot the cow and the cow's okay. So obviously we know it wasn't shot like in its brain. But I have some more information for you about the cow. All right, so let's start with February in Michigan. As you can probably guess, it's freaking cold in February, okay? As someone who lived in the Midwest for years, I know cold and February is cold, often like the coldest month of the entire year actually. So there is this switch that happens late January, early February, where winter goes from already like freezing temperatures to what can only be described as like basically the Arctic tundra. So yeah, if I was a cow and someone shot me and now I got to run through the Arctic tundra in the dark of night, I'd probably be pissed too. But yes, I did look up the laws in Michigan because obviously I was like so pissed about the cow getting shot (laughs) that I almost forgot I was researching a murder. But anyways, apparently in Michigan and not sure if this is state or local law, depending on where you live, but the internet claims that if a large carnivorous animal is on your property and is endangering other wildlife, such as livestock and poultry, or if it is endangering a human being, you are permitted to shoot it. Like a wolf? Yeah, but I thought cows eat grass. Yeah, yeah, no, they, I mean, they didn't shoot the cow thinking, like, it's a tiger. So <laughs> I know. It's not a carnival. I know, but the law says that you can shoot a carnivorous animal on your property. Right. But if it's endangering livestock, so maybe they were like, oh, okay, it's not carnivorous, but it's endangering our livestock, because I'm assuming this is on a farm. I don't know what's going to happen, but I would presume someone's excuse would be, there was a wolf, so I shot at it, but I accidentally shot this cow. That would this be, random cow that just happened to well, be the there. The wolf would be trying to attack the cows. So that, to me, that kind of tracks. Like, I saw a wolf, I took a shot, I missed, hit the cow that it was trying to eat. Yeah. That's my excuse. I mean, that makes a lot of sense, but I don't think that's what happened I don't think in this anyone's going to mistake a cow for a large carnivorous All animal. All I'm saying is that when I read it online, there was nothing about a wolf. Sure. It was literally like is there more? a cow got shot. The cow has nothing to do with this story. Okay, so I'm going to go with my version because that makes sense. Whereas your version of like someone thought a cow was a bear. And I didn't. Shot it. I just think that the cow was being annoying and the person <laughs> being literally, I think it's a simple Cows as that. are livestock. I know, but all I'm saying. Okay, I think you should put that to the listeners because your version is really 
Don't you think that if there was a wolf <laughs> and the person was trying to shoot the wolf, they would mention that in the call? Mm. Or the police would not if say it's that? A, not if it's a farmer or they sh- took a shot at the wolf and didn't realize they hit the cow. Like, there's a lot of Where reasonable... are there wolves in Michigan? There are wolves in Michigan. <laughs> How can you be so sure? Dude, they have a ban on hunting wolves in some states, and then they don't have a ban on hunting wolves in other states. And Michigan is one of those states. How the F do you know Dude, this? They put it in the Guardian all the time. Oh, okay. Wolf population. Interesting. And you know me. I mean, Michigan's really close to Canada, and there's lots of wolves in Canada. And you know me, right? Me and wolves. Like, I'm going to read all the articles about wolves. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah, I shot a scary cow because it's annoying me. It's annoying my chickens. <laughs> I just, I feel like if it had something to do with the wolf, they would have put something about the wolf. In I the think article. if someone was dumb enough to make this cow's annoying my chickens, so I shot it, that would go in a newspaper. Yeah, probably. Mm. Mm-hmm. So the troopers are like trying to catch this cow, probably hating their lives when they get another call. And it's not about a cow this time. It was a car accident. But the details of the crash were anything but typical for a wintry night in Michigan where cars losing control on icy roads are probably like not a rare occurrence. Instead, the frightened woman who called 911 reported that a car had hit her house and the driver of the car was now unconscious and appeared to be very badly injured. So I think that whenever a car accident renders someone unconscious... I feel like that is the scariest thing in the entire world because you know that that person only became unconscious because of the impact, you know? I got hit at 70 miles an hour while I was completely stopped. I didn't lose consciousness. So the idea of losing consciousness is so scary. Yeah, but you're also afraid of anesthesia and death and cars. Right. So it's like a triple whammy for you. I know, but don't you know what I mean, though? Not really. I don't know if you know. I knocked myself out when I fell off my BMX. When I was like seven. I mean, I knocked myself out when I sucked helium out of a balloon too hard <laughs> <laughs> at a birthday party. Uh, <laughs> we're such different people. <laughs> what, that you're cool and I'm a loser? I wasn't cool, but like. So, all that said, the driver's injuries did not actually appear to be caused by the crash at all according to trooper Jeff Miazga. So now he's at this scene, obviously. So the troopers arrived at the scene of the car accident, and like the woman who made the call to 911 had relayed to police, they discovered a female driver behind the wheel of a little red Dodge Omni. Mm. So, uh, that's not interesting. <laughs> I paused because I felt like you would have it's something to same, say about the car. It's the same car that the pizza delivery guy drives in home alone a dodge omni red yeah i told you it wasn't interesting <laughs> <laughs> wow that's crazy that you could actually pinpoint a specific omni, i know that because i was looking it up you know how many people watching this was like i've not i don't know what a dodge omni looks like until you just made that reference and they're like oh i know exactly what a dodge omni looks like no they probably still don't i mean i don't <laughs> it's like I've a, seen that movie so many times little hatchback it's almost like a golf like mm. old golf red okay. but shit <laughs> yeah. As police as police as police rushed to help the driver, they quickly realized that unfortunately the driver had already suffered substantial blood loss. Her injuries were absolutely catastrophic, but strangely, those catastrophic injuries did not seem to match the scene of a car accident at all, even one as potentially awful as crashing into another person's house. 
So after moving some of her clothing, it was revealed that the driver had been shot. By a cow? No, by a human. And the result of the shotgun blast on the driver's body was so bad. Jeff Miazga told Oxygen, quote, she had massive trauma from a shotgun blast to her back and upper shoulder, which would have been fatal within moments. So sad because honestly, it seems like that, well, Red Handed published a new post. <laughs> uh, it's so sad because it most likely seems that even with medical attention and care, uh, this woman would have been dead, you know, regardless. She was pronounced dead at the scene. Uh, it seemed the trooper even said that the the shotgun blast was just so bad that the blood loss was like immense. I have a feeling she's not going to make it. She was pronounced dead at the scene, Uh-oh. I said. <laughs> so no, she did not make it. Kicking off one of the weirdest and most insane criminal investigations that I have ever heard started with the discovery of a driver's license inside the vehicle and thus the identity of the driver, Carol Knepp. All right, Carol Knepp, formerly Carol Summy, had grown up in rural Michigan in a large family. After high school, Carol took a job at a local factory, and it was while she was employed here that she first laid eyes on long-haul trucker Gary Knepp. Don't you think it's really romantic when people in the Midwest fall in love with long-haul truckers? No. While they're working at a factory, because he just, like, (laughs) stops by to pick up a load. load And she's like, packages? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why are you making it sound sexier than it well, is? Well, <laughs> because I use the word load and then packages. <laughs> I didn't mean to. That sounds fucking miserable. What do you mean? She fell in love. She worked at a factory and he drove a long haul truck in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds miserable. I think it sounds like fate. How are you romanticizing this? You work in a factory. What factory is it? Like fucking dog food? I don't know. But you work in a factory. Dog food factory, got it. Loading up packages, loading up packages, (laughs) and Gary Kanat pulls up and he hops out of his truck, takes his hat off. Yeah, he hops out of his rug, takes his hat off, and he's like, what did I say? Rug. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he hops out of his rig, takes his hat off, and says, well, hello there, little lady. Oh my God, (laughs) this is so much bullshit. What do you mean? That's a direct quote. (laughs) No, it's not. No, I know. It's definitely not. The two were quickly smitten, all right? Despite the fact that long-haul trucker Gary was already married. Miserable. Yeah. Lori Knepp, Gary's wife, was none the wiser when Gary and Carol began engaging in an extramarital affair. So I don't condone affairs whatsoever, Obviously, but I can understand if you just so happen to find like true love and it's like absolutely the love of your life, love at first sight. Yeah, that's where my true love is, is at the dog food factory. <laughs> Listen to me, <laughs> just get a divorce. I mean, damn, just get a freaking divorce. Why would you engage in an extramarital affair? Why? Uh, Why, babe? Why? Easier than getting a divorce. <sighs> <laughs> Anyways, luckily for Gary, but not really. He did eventually call it quits with Lori, filing for divorce in November of 1994. And just three months later, on Valentine's Day in 1995, Gary and Carol became husband and wife. Three months. (laughs) Three months later. How long have they been moving packages? How long was their affair? I have no idea. Before they got married? I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't think it was that long, though. So I think if you have an affair with someone for like two years and then you divorce your wife and then you get married in three months, that's kind of like, all right, that's fine. 
if you have an affair for more than a few months, it's almost worse, I think. If you had an affair with this person for years, for years, and you while you were married, you basically didn't really care about the person you were married to, obviously, but you also didn't really care about the person that you were having an affair with. Yeah. You're just like so lazy that you don't want to make a choice. Maybe you're just Or a, you want it both. Maybe you're, yeah. Maybe you want you're, both. Maybe you have kids. Maybe you're but I'm saying, but confrontation. No, yeah, but no woman is safe in that situation. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, but like, congratulations to the bride and groom, right? I mean, Carol's dead, so. Gary and Carol Knepp settled into married life quite well, introducing each other to their friends, including Gary's fellow trucker buddy BFF, Ron Hostetter. Yeah, this is the girl I was banging behind my wife's Ron bride. knew, dude. You know that they were on their CB radios just talking about it all day long. Yeah, so they meet Ron Hostetter and his wife, Lisa. Gary and Ron had already been friends for years by the time that Carol and Gary walked down the aisle. And soon, the wives followed suit, quickly becoming besties in no time. So you can only imagine how much devastation would be left amongst Carol's family and Carol and Gary's close-knit circle of trucker and wife friends in the wake of Carol's untimely murder. Not to mention, Carol and her husband Gary had barely been married but one year before someone took a shotgun to her chest. Following the discovery of Carol's body, Michigan State Police had to make the visit that no police officer ever looks forward to. But off they went to Gary's house to inform him of his wife's death. When police approached Gary's front door, their knocks were met with silence. But just as they thought that they may have missed him, Gary suddenly appeared out of the darkness. (laughs) I don't know why multiple articles had to say this. First of all, not creepy at all. He came up to them from around the house <laughs> and they were like, what the fuck? So anyways, he came face to face with police officers. And upon seeing this whole group of police officers standing there, call it gut instinct, husband's intuition. But obviously he immediately inquired about his wife's well-being. According to Gary, he had last seen his wife before she left their home to work her night shift. And as per usual, she was supposed to call him when she arrived at work. But that call never came which obviously lines up since Carol was not at work, as we know by now. As police probed Gary, Lisa Hostetter, the wife of Gary's longtime friend, Ron Hostetter, and Carol's close friend as well, pulled up to the Kneps to see authorities questioning Gary. Upon finding out the fate of her friend, Carol, Lisa immediately went into complete shock and she had some ideas on what, or rather who, was behind Carol's murder. According to Lisa, the Kneps had a great relationship after all. Remember, they'd only been married like a year at this point. But Lisa also told police that as of late, Gary and Carol had become a target of Gary's ex-wife, Lori. And that maybe a long-standing grudge brought on by Gary's affair with Carol while he was still married to Lori and then their rush to the altar had led to Lori snapping and ultimately murdering Carol. What's the friend's name? Lisa. She did it. Lisa also mentioned a number of threatening phone calls the Kneps had been receiving that had Carol pretty worried, rightfully so, in the weeks leading up to her death. So obviously this was a pretty damn good lead. Ex-wife seeks revenge on ex-husband and ex-husband's new wife, a tale as old as time, if you will. While police set out to investigate the seemingly crazy ex-wife, they still had to make the dreaded visit to the home of Carol's mother, mother to break the horrible news. 
So arriving in the middle of the night, Carol's mother was obviously horrified and shocked to learn about her daughter's tragic demise. But maybe, just maybe, police really should have visited Carol's mother first because she had her own potential she had some lead. Tea. Yeah, that she wanted to share with authorities. She had some serious tea. And it wasn't about the alleged crazy ex-wife. According to Carol's mom, Carol had recently stumbled upon something rather troubling. A love letter which she found in Gary's truck. Is it written to Lisa? According to Carol's family, <laughs> the letter had been written to Gary from none other than her bestie and Gary's bestie's wife and the woman who had just provided police a hot tip, Lisa Hostetter. Once a cheater, always a cheater. Yes. That's mm. what I said. If you're either woman in that situation, you shouldn't feel good about it. You're not safe. Neither woman is safe. Okay. Gary's a fucking ladies' man. I know. Him and his big rig. Eh, stop. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally, Carol was pissed when she found out this letter, or when she found this letter and found out about their affair. And Carol's mom was quick to relay that to authorities. So now police are like, all right, so we got an ex-wife, a cheating husband, a skeezy best friend. What the actual fuck is going on? So, starting from the beginning of the messy-ass list of leads, police first visited Gary's ex-wife, Lori. Lori was like, um, no, I'm not a murderer. Thank you very much. But Lori is not innocent, okay? Lori did have a secret of her own. For God knows what reason, Lori told authorities that Gary was not the only one screwing around in their marriage. Oh, no, no, no. According to Lori... While Gary and Carol were sneaking around behind Lori's back, Lori herself had been carrying on an affair of her own with Ron Hostetter, Lisa's husband, Gary's friend. I need to, I need to, I need, to, I need all the characters explained again. Yeah, well, Gary's my, the trucker. This is literally Laurie, what I. Laurie is his first. This is wife. what I have written next. So let's just clarify because shit <laughs> is getting messy. Okay, so yes, yeah, so let me break it down for you. Gary and Lori Knepp got divorced. After Gary cheated on Lori with Carol, okay? Gary and Lori used to be married. Gary cheats on Lori with Carol, okay? Mm -hmm. But <laughs> while that was going on, Lori was also cheating on Gary with Gary's best friend, Ron Hostetter. Right? And Ron's wife is Lisa. Lisa. Lisa's now banging Gary. Yes. <laughs> The, these are all the widest names I can... I know. <laughs> I know. So then Carol and Gary got married, and Gary maybe started an affair with his best friend's wife, Lisa Hostetter. So far, all we have is a letter, right? Who was Carol's friend, as we know. And just to reiterate, whose husband was, according to Lori, also engaged in an extramarital affair with her, Lori. And now Carol is dead. And there are, like, multiple suspects. Carol's the odd person out. She wasn't having an affair. Yeah, well, she she's was. the only... Oh, wait, yeah. yeah. I was about to be like, yeah! But she was. She's not, she was she the mistress married, turned though. wife. Right. She wasn't having an extramarital... Yeah. Well, she was involved... No, whatever. However you say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She wasn't having an extramarital <laughs> affair. But she was engaged in an extramarital affair. Just not her own extramarital affair. Except it kind of was. I guess. <laughs> so are you, are you following this? Yeah, I got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so police at this point are like... Fuck these people. What in the fresh hell is wrong with all of you people? 
They're probably so confused, but also probably pretty excited, honestly, because if you think about it, as ridiculous and ridiculously intertwined this story was becoming, multiple suspects are always better than no suspects, right? So they were more than ready to get back to Gary and Lisa because you better believe they had questions. But no dice because the two suspected cheaters had by this point already lawyered up and were now completely refusing to sit down with police. So obviously before you go assuming the worst, let's just put this all into perspective, okay? If your wife or your best friend had just been murdered and you were having an affair with her best friend or her husband, depending on who you are in this situation, you probably wouldn't even want to talk to police at the risk of implicating yourself because let's face it, you already look like a pretty damn good suspect, right? Like, just let's be real. And if you were to ask like the advice of a lawyer, they'd be like, wait, you were having an affair with this person and this person's wife is now dead. Yeah, do not talk to police. Yeah, also I think the advice of any lawyer is don't talk to the That's police. That's true. Right. That's true. And obviously, like, you're not legally obligated to talk to police. They can't force you to sit down with them. And if you choose not to, it does not necessarily mean you're guilty. Necessarily. Obviously. But you know what I mean? I think that's always important to say because a lot of people just jump to conclusions. It's like, oh, they were cheating. They must be. They must have killed her. But that's not always the case. But it is the case. I mean. (laughs) So while police were trying to figure that hot mess out, they decided to talk to another player in this friend-cessed saga. Lisa's husband and Gary's best friend, Ron Hostetter, who was also engaged in that extramarital affair with Gary's ex-wife, Lori, remember? Mm -hmm. While Gary and Lori were still married. So, yeah. So, I'm sure they probably had to have a map up at this point. When I was reading all this, I pictured them having one of those, like, true detective maps with all, like, the lines on it. It's fine. It's a love pentagram. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is a love pentagram because Satan is all up in this friend group. I just think it's so gross at a certain point where... I guess you have to be in such a small town and be so closely intertwined with the people around you that this seems like the right move. That everybody has somehow found each other and each other's husbands and wives. It's freaking weird. It's weird. Yeah, but like, I don't know, people in the suburbs like swing and shit, right? So. I think people swing all over. Do they? Yeah. Okay, so there you go. Like. But this isn't swinging. This is literally just like having two relationships. Yeah, but like it's pretty close to swinging. Yeah, but nobody knows about it. It's so bizarre. Maybe that's part of the fun. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) I'm assuming there's nothing to do in this town in Michigan except for shoot cows. Dog food. And screw your your husband's best friend. Fuck each other's wives and husbands. Yeah, it's insane. But if police needed further clarification, they were not going to get it from Ron Hostetter. He had... Nothing to tell police. So with nobody willing to talk, the case stalled and getting justice for Carol started slipping further and further away from authorities and her family members who rightfully just wanted some answers. As the months passed, police continued hoping for a breakthrough, anything to put some fire back into their investigation. It did not happen quickly, but it did happen in November of 1996, nine months after Carol was shot to death in her little red car. The detectives assigned to the Carol Knapp murder investigation got the lead of a lifetime from an unlikely source, the Elkhart County Sheriff's Office in Indiana. Elkhart authorities had a man in their custody who, despite being implicated in an assault incident, wanted to talk, 
about the murder of Carol Kinnett. Ooh, juicy. And Elkhart police are like, okay, cool. Who the hell is Carol Kinnett? And who the hell are you in all of this? Well, the gentleman being questioned was Dale Smith. (laughs) You're not supposed to know who that is. Okay, yes. Dale Smith just so happened to be the brother-in-law of our girl, Lisa Hostetter, and therefore the brother of Lisa's husband, Lori's lover, Gary's best friend, Ron Hostetter. If they're brothers, why do they have different last names? I don't know. Maybe different fathers, I'm assuming. So half-brothers. This is getting wafts of white trash. (laughs) The stench. Yeah. (laughs) St. Joseph's County authorities quickly jumped in to question Dale Smith, who revealed that he had overheard the entire murder plot straight from the murderer's mouths. Both Lisa and Ron Hostetter. But, of course... What? He had nothing to do with the crime. He just overheard it. It doesn't even make sense. I know. Why would Ron be in on it? Well, just wait. Uh... He's like, listen, I heard them talking about it, but I didn't have anything to do with it, okay? I just heard the entire gruesome plot. Honest. He did mention that he (laughs) was approached by his brother, Ron, who asked him to get rid of the murder weapon. But that's it. Authorities thought, oh my God, holy shit, this is just weird enough that it could maybe be true. And they truly thought that this info just might be enough for an arrest. Finally. But alas, prosecutors were not convinced. And once again, the case lost steam. Um, I think that that, the story sounds so far-fetched and that if you don't have any information tying this guy, Dale Smith, to this plot at all, like if they weren't able to prove that Dale was in Michigan or whatever, this could be so many things happening. You know, this could be like Dale Smith is in trouble He knows something happened. Maybe he thinks that implicating his brother and his brother's wife in the murder could get him out of this assault incident. Yeah, also shitty brother. Shitty Mm -hmm. brother behavior. But yeah, also it doesn't check out motive-wise. Yeah, no, it doesn't check out motive-wise. Like nothing nothing about this case so far seems to implicate Ron in any of this. So it's weird that his brother would come forward. And that's, I'm sure that's what prosecutors thought. It's like, where the hell did this guy come into all of this? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Or it's bullshit. Unfortunately for Carol's family and friends, 1996 would end without any new leads. And then 1997 would crawl by as well. While justice for Carol remained nothing but... (laughs) Sorry. Well, it's okay. While justice for Carol remained nothing but a hope. But in April of 1998, now over two years since Carol was murdered, things had changed and people were finally ready to man up and speak up. So it turns out the alleged affair between Carol's husband Gary and her bestie Lisa was for real, obviously. And in the years that had passed since the murder, Lisa and Ron Hostetter had split. And now Lisa was shacking up with Gary Connect. And now Lisa was ready to talk. So she went to police with a story of her own. No lawyers, no runaround, just her truth, which was her ex killed Carol. Duh. Why? (laughs) In her recorded statement, Lisa is heard saying, quote, did Ron shoot her? Yeah, it's not my fault. I'm not going to go to jail for something I didn't do, end quote. That's literally all she said. (laughs) That's it. 
Whether police thought that they were finally getting the truth or truth or at least some version of the truth would not amount to anything because after two years, there was literally zero physical evidence. Nothing had ever surfaced linking any of their multiple suspects or persons of interest even to the murder or even the crime scene in any way. And with such a tangled web of utter shit, prosecutors were not prepared to blow their chance of securing a conviction and getting justice for Carol. That's always the worst part, huh? When they're like, obviously something happened. These people are involved somehow. But we only have one shot at this. We can't blow it. Which I mean, is like the the never-ending saga of not arresting people. These fucking people are all like grassing on each other. Everyone's fucking each other. Everyone is trying to get each other convicted. Mm-hmm. It's dirty. It's it dirty is so business. dirty. <clears throat> So instead, police had to sit on all of this information and just wait. But thank the good Lord above, they would not have to let years pass this time. All thanks to a woman named Carrie. Because obviously <laughs> this story needs more characters. Uh... So Carrie was the new lady in Ron Hostetter's love life. Uh, she was fucking someone beforehand. <laughs> no, 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 no. Dale. Just Ron. Just Ron. She loved that big rig life, you know? She is, loved his big rig. Is Dale also a big rig driver? His brother? No, I don't Wait, think so. Sorry, Ron. Is Ron a big rig Ron driver? was a big rig driver, okay. remember? That's, how, that's why they're that's buddies. How, they're yes, that's buddies. why they're that's why they're buddies. They met trucking. They happened to catch each other in the C B radio and it was friendship at first. What is it? <laughs> Transmission. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So Carrie is the new lady in Ron Hossetter's life, okay? okay? But Carrie was not happy. She was not happy at all. This was supposed to be the honeymoon phase. But no honeymoon was being had at all, which is just a damn shame. You know, it's kind of like us, babe, when we first started dating. We're not married. I know, but neither were they. We haven't had a honeymoon phase. No, we did. Our our dating honeymoon phase. Our honeymoon phase, which is when we first started dating, was kind of like this. Crazy exes trying to ruin our lives. (laughs) It's not going to go in there. Don't worry. (laughs) Anyway, Carrie was now ready to talk to police because, like I said, Carrie was unhappy. So for Carrie and Ron, their honeymoon phase had been so rudely interrupted when on what would have otherwise been a rather normal day, I'm assuming, a loud explosion was heard outside the couple's home. Authorities were called to the scene where they discovered that the source of the explosion was a pipe bomb. Carrie immediately thought that the bomb was some sort of threat or warning to Ron to keep Carol's murder out of his mouth. But Carrie wasn't necessarily being paranoid because this fear didn't actually come out of nowhere. Carrie told authorities that she and Ron had been on the receiving end of multiple threatening messages, and the sender was none other than Lisa, formerly Lisa Hostetter, Ron's ex-wife and Carol's widow's new but actually old flame. Remember at the start of this, you said this is a really simple story? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's not. I mean, it's straightforward. It's easy listening. It's just weird. That's why I said it's weird and creepy and gross and horrific in a different way. Is it easy listening? Yes. It's too many names. <laughs> There's a lot of people in this story. And they're all the same name. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa, Lori, Carol, Carrie. Carrie, Ron, Gary. <laughs> white people. Blame white people. Ugh. Also, who, what? 
parents name their newborn baby Gary. <laughs> Gary. I don't know. Laurie. Carol. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your baby's so cute. What's her name? Carol. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all bad. Can you imagine a little baby Carol? Can you imagine breastfeeding little baby Carol? It's not even a nickname for Carol either. No. Lisa's also a weird baby name. I think Gary's the weirdest. <laughs> Gary, you're basically asking to raise a skis if you name your kid Gary. No offense if your name's Gary. And I hope that you're not a skis. Yeah, what about Gary Lineker? <laughs> Who the fuck is Gary Lineker? He's a really nice English footballer. What about Gary Shandling? He was tight. Is he also English? No. He's like an American comedian that passed away, but he was a proto-reality TV turned on its head. Like fake reality TV, like The Office. Yeah. But he came up with it like 20 years before. Mockumentary? That. Yeah. Was he old? Mm, I don't know, like 60s, 70s. When he Not died? Old. Yeah. Well, how long ago did he die? Like 10 years ago, if that. Okay, so he was born he probably was cool. like in the 40s or 50s. Yeah, he was cool. Weird looking guy, but really okay, funny. Okay, well, that's that's a little bit more oh, acceptable. I see. What about, isn't there like any famous people called Gary? I mean, this Gary is probably, what, 70 at this point? 60, 70? So, I think... I think all at one point, all babies were called Gary. That is Ron. so creepy. <laughs> <laughs> baby Ronald and baby Gary. Yeah. Gary? It'll come back around. I mean, Harrison has a kid in his class named Kanye, so you really just go with the times. Maybe It'll, Gary Shandling was big. Gary will come around. In like 20 years, people are like, oh, Gary's such a like cool name. I don't kid. think so. It'll come around. And Brian. Gary and Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Brian has, I think Brian has a few more years. <laughs> Brian was so overdone in the 2000s, in the 90s, 90s and early 2000s, that I think everyone had to stop. Everybody knows a Brian. I know multiple. I know no. I'm I know more Ryan's than Brian's. Same, but I, I, I still know Brian's. Brandon's than any other name. Well, Brandon is the most common one. Yeah, it's not good. It's insane. I don't know a good Brandon. I know a lot of Brandons. None of them are good. What if Brandon's listening to this? Brandon, who? Fat Brandon? Yeah. <laughs> what if Fat Brandon's? Listening? Good for him. Hey, hey, Fat Brandon. <laughs> He's got his own podcast. Does he? Yeah. He does. Yeah. What's it called? I don't know. I named one of the guys in my video game Fat Brandon. <laughs> you did? <laughs> yeah. Okay, does Fat Brandon know that you guys call him Fat Brandon? Yeah, he's in Ryan's phone as Fat Brandon. Okay, so he knows that. Yeah. He's okay with it? Yeah, he's a good guy. Out of all the Brandons I know, he's the best one. Yeah. I, they're all bad, but he's the best out of the bad. God, I hope Brandon, <laughs> Brandon or Brandon <laughs> or Brandon is listening to this. His name's Fat Brandon. Okay, Get well, I right. hope that Brandon or Fat Brandon. No, but <laughs> I've said Brandon so many times, it doesn't even sound like a name. It's, it shouldn't be. <laughs> it's not really a name. It's <laughs> definitely that made other up. Brandon? Yeah, what happened to him? I saw him outside Ryan's house. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> He was looking both ways at once. <laughs> Ryan said he stopped by his house to borrow something and then he didn't leave for like seven hours. Oh my God, I can't put that in there. <laughs> I definitely can't put that in there. That guy's a piece of shit. <laughs> That's the worst, Brandon. Can I put that in there? Sure. <laughs> That's really funny, babe.
And why do you know so many Brandons? Maybe Brandon was way bigger in the 80s. How many Sinead's do you know? Two. Two? Sinead O'Connor. Okay. I said no, like personally. I know of uh, Okay. How many Sinead's do you know personally? One. I think that's the right move. You name your kid something very obscure. I disagree because having a weird name fucking sucks for your whole life. Like Nils? Yeah, or What Sinead. about that guy in America's Got Talent Extreme? <laughs> His name was no, Nils. it's fucked. It's fucked. I have to spell it all the time. And that guy. That guy sucks. That fucking nerd guy. He got the golden buzzer. I don't give a shit. Being Sinead sucks. All mm-hmm. your Starbucks orders suck. Everyone yeah. says Sinead. Yeah, or Sinead. It sucks. <laughs> or Sinead. It sucks. Or Sinead. Having a unique name sucks. It does. Except if I went to England, I mean, not England, if I went to Ireland and you went to Holland? Germany? Yeah, I mean, no. Holland? Holland? But like... That's, Every, nobody would question it. It's like Danish, really. So if you went to Denmark... You were going to say Danish. <laughs> Daneland. Oh my God. How did you know? <laughs> I was going to say Daneland. <laughs> Just for a second. I know it was Denmark. We're so off topic. Yeah, anyways. pause it? I want to get a drink. All right. So like I said, police found that there had been a pipe bomb that went off. Yes. And that's when they learned that um, Carrie and Ron had been on the receiving end of all of those threatening messages from Lisa. Yeah. Now police are like, okay, enough is enough. We need to talk to Ron. He is like the one outstanding person in this situation. And he has always refused to talk. He knows too much. So he's like, no, I don't want to. I'm shy. (laughs) Is that what he sounds like? (laughs) But the then prosecutor, Jeffrey Middleton, informed Ron that they were fully prepared at this point to call a federal grand jury because they were sick of the shit. And so Ron was like, okay, well, all right, then I'll talk. Okay. And just like that, the whole story came spewing out. According to Ron, after discovering his wife and Gary were having an affair, the couple were on the outs. But not for long. They had managed to reconcile by February of 1996. And as they tried to begin anew, Lisa opened up to Gary about the horrible threats she'd been receiving. Gary told authorities that he learned from Lisa that Carol Knapp was so furious after finding out about the affair between her husband and Lisa that she began threatening not only Lisa, but her and Ron's children as well. And Ron was like, "Uh uh-uh. Not the kids. It was then that Ron Hostetter, trying to protect the lives of his wife and kids, decided that something needed to be done. So he recruited his brother, Dale. Remember Dale? Yeah, Dale Smith. (laughs) And the three plotted the murder of Carol Kinnett. What the fuck? The plan was simple. Lisa would keep lookout outside Carol and Gary's house and alert Ron and Dale when she saw Carol leave for work. So according to court documents, as Carol ultimately left her home that fateful night, Lisa used her CB radio to give Ron and his bro the signal. Also, I think that all the CB radio talk really does define a little bit of white trash. When it's like uh, your husband's a trucker, so you have your own CB radio to talk to people on your CB radio in the 80s. Especially when you're plotting a murder. Yeah, in the 90s. Okay, yeah. like, why is Ron coughing up this confession that he murdered someone? It seems like a bad move. Well, Ron says that him and Dale headed to the street that the trio knew Carol traveled to get to work, 
and it wasn't long before they spotted the little red Dodge Omni. Is it a little car? I keep yeah, saying little. Yeah, it's a hatchback. Okay, all right. Two-door. I just like the way it said, the little red car. Hatchback. Okay, that's good. You know what that means? Yeah, it's got the little ugly thing on the back. I hate hatchbacks. <laughs> I hate hatchbacks. Don't you hate hatchbacks? No, I like a hot hatch. Nobody calls it a hot In hatch. In all of England, you get hot hatches. They're like souped up hatchbacks and like people race them. Because like all the cars yeah, are yeah, tiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get that. It's a hot hatch. My cousin has a Ford hatchback and he souped it up and makes crazy noises. Yeah. It drives so fast. It's a hot hatch. And he like replaced everything. Yeah. And like just went like below and just like literally changed the entire it's like inside the of the car. foreign version of a Jeep. You know what I mean? Like in America, all the Jeep guys change all the Jeep shit. Mm -hmm. right? Like you. No, I just changed some of it. <laughs> you changed so much of it. Ron was driving, and upon seeing Carol's car, he made his way up to Carol, pulled up alongside her, and she obviously had no idea what was coming. So as he pulled up alongside her, Dale took aim and shot Carol. Fucking Dale. Poor Carol. Yeah, supposedly only overheard the plot my ass. So that is why Ron wanted to talk. Because he knew, ultimately, he didn't pull the trigger. But at this point, still like he's being implicated as the murderer by Lisa. And so the prosecutor is telling Ron, hey, if you don't want to talk to us, that's cool. We'll just call a federal grand jury. We have this person's word against yours. So you better start talking. I mean, he's going to go to jail for conspiracy to commit murder. Absolutely. He drove the car. He's an idiot. He should have just shut up. Yeah. Well, finally, no, because then he could have been, he could have gone to murder. He could have gone to jail murder for. Murder old Lisa, dude. Well, now just he can. Just murder everyone. Now he can testify against them. Yeah, so he'll go to jail for eight years instead of 15. Well, finally, after all these <laughs> years, police now knew the whole story. Yeah. All because Carol's husband's lover was the most manipulative, crazy bitch on the face of the earth. Prosecutor Middleton told Oxygen, quote, When you step back and think, I got my husband and my brother-in-law to murder my boyfriend's wife. That's a difficult concept. I don't know what power she held over these people. It's true. And I looked at her and I don't know what power she held over these people either. So now that Ron had provided a full play-by-play -play of Carol's murder, authorities were sure that they could go ahead and arrest some of these losers. But... Michigan's spousal privilege laws posed some potentially mm. serious setbacks for the prosecution. And obviously, when you're deciding to arrest someone, you have to consider what that looks like for a future trial, blah, blah, blah. Jeffrey Middleton explained to Oxygen, quote, prior to 2000, the spousal privilege was with the defendant. If you were charged with the crime and your wife was called as a witness, you could claim the spousal privilege and prevent your wife from mm -hmm. testifying against you, yeah. end quote. However... That law was changed in the way that now, post-2000, the witness, not the defendant, was granted the right to decide to testify. I see. Okay? And they were like, ooh, we don't like that. The prosecution was like, we don't like that at all. So Middleton petitioned for the first law, like what it was before 2000, to apply to this. Because the crime was committed before 2000? Was that his argument? He applied for the opposite of what was in effect at that time, basically. He applied for the law to be retroactively applied to this case. Yeah, he so petitioned. he's saying, we want the old law because mm -hmm. that suits our case better. Right. Because they can say, hey, Lisa, you have to testify. Mm -hmm. And then in the old law, Dale or Ron could be like, that's fine. 
Right. But in the new law, at least could be like, no, I don't want to. spousal privilege. Right. And he was successful when he petitioned for the first law to retroactively apply to this case. He was successful, which is crazy because technically I don't know if that's like by the books, but the court allowed it. Okay. And that gave the prosecution some extra confidence to move forward with the arrests, which went down on August 28th, 2000. Lisa and Ron Hostetter, along with Ron's brother Dale, were all arrested and charged with the murder of Carol Knepp. Ron Hostetter would ultimately testify against both his ex-wife and his brother, which allowed him to plead guilty to second-degree murder, and he was released in 2014. I still think he, that's a tactical error. I think he just should have shut up. I don't think he would have been fine. You really think so? You don't think they would have just, like, had to charge him with first-degree murder instead of second-degree? No, I don't think the case would have gone through. Like, she was already talking shit, wasn't she? Someone, Dale, Dale had already spilled the beans, right? Yeah, but he didn't say that he shot them. He said he overheard it, so it was two against one. Lisa said that Ron shot Carol, Dale said he overheard Lisa and Ron planning it. This is what I mean. Like, one person coming out, they're like, this is like a tricky case. Like, him confessing everything, he sent himself to jail. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess I could see it that way. But I think that if he would not have spewed at all, he would not have been able to plead guilty to second degree. I think he would have had to take a lesser charge th- on first degree still. I think you you shut up until you're in the courtroom and then you say, hey, I'll take a plea deal. Yeah. So a lot of their trials went down in the beginning 2000s. So I'm assuming that... So he did 15 years? Well, Lisa Lisa's trial didn't take place until 2005. So I don't know if they waited until her trial to sentence him, which I'm sure they did. But he was released in 2014, so... Nine years. Yeah, nine years, nine to 15 years is what he ultimately probably ended up doing. Dale Smith was sentenced to life in prison for first-degree murder on August 16th, 2001. And it doesn't look like parole is an option based on what I gathered from records from the Michigan Department of Corrections because it says minimum sentence life, maximum sentence life on it, and usually they have... Uh, like a projected release date or whatever. So Lisa Hossetter's trial wouldn't take place until 2005, like I said. She was sentenced to 25 to 50 years for second-degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder. In 2008, she received another trial on appeal, believe it or not. But the appeal only granted her another second-degree murder conviction with the same prison terms. But she is eligible for parole in 2024. So she could possibly be out soon. Essentially, she didn't pull the trigger, whatever. I do love that we go so hard on people for conspiracy. Like, ultimately, she masterminded the entire thing. She manipulated people. She lied about Carol to get them to kill her. Oh, fucking psycho. Psycho. Yeah. All right, so here's the last little tidbit Mm. for you, okay? Gary Knepp. Yeah, what happened to Gary? What happened to Gary? Well... He was never charged in the murder of Carol Knepp. But, according to the Herald Palladium, he was sentenced to a maximum of 45 years in prison in Elkhart County, Indiana, just a few years after Carol's murder in 2000 for the attempted murder of Robert Benton, who is the estranged husband of Lisa Hostetter's oh, sister, Jean Ann Benton. What's he fucking Jean Because you gotta keep the crimes <laughs> in the family, apparently. And it looks like uh, he was released in 2020. 
So he was sentenced in 20, 2000. He served 20 years out of a maximum of 45 years in prison. Maybe, maybe while Lisa was in prison, he got with her sister. Like, or maybe there was just some family dispute. I don't know. But tell me that's not effing crazy. But him to Laurie. Nothing. Lori had nothing to do with this. She was like, um, I got the hell out of that marriage. And thank God I did. She had nothing to do with any of it. This is all trash. Trash, trash, trash. Trash people. Trash people. Trash town. <laughs> Fucking hell. I know. Isn't that wild? Uh... So that's the story of Carol and Gary Knepp, Lisa and Ron Hostetter, Dale Smith, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> Lori, Lori, formerly Lori Knepp, and Carrie. <laughs> Who was Carrie? Oh, Ron Hostetter's girlfriend. New girlfriend. Yeah. What does I she do? What? Oh, she's the one that tweaked out. Yeah, she was like, uh, no one's gonna pipe bomb my house, yeah, bitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, like I said right at the beginning, miserable. Can you imagine? Can you even, like, fathom no. this happening in a family? I mean, you don't choose the white trash life. The white trash life chooses you. I'm not hating on rural Michigan either. All I'm saying <laughs> is that these people are all from a very small town in rural Michigan. Clearly so small that the pool of you potential the pool of potential suitors is only people you know very well. These tra- long distance truckers are really charming over time, you know? It's hard for them to like meet new people, meet new ladies and charm them. But like over time you're like, Well actually, Gary, I love your views on Hitler. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Moral of the story is don't fuck your friend's wife. Yeah. Uh, legalize sex work. I think that that would help this situation. What? Because all these horny fucking truckers mm, could mm. like go and have uh, legally sanctioned. In sex. what world do you think that Gary and Ron were only hooking up with each other's people? Here's why I think that because they stayed married. For as long as they possibly could before it all blew up in their face. But, like, legalize it in the right way. Don't endanger the sex workers. Agreed. Mm. Is it really only legal in one state? Yeah. What the hell kind of country do we live in? They're talking about it in New York. They're talking about, like, let's figure this out. But there's a big debate about should we legalize it completely or should we decriminalize sex workers but still penalize... Pimps and Johns. Yes. Right. So this is there's a you have to. There's a big argument because sex thing. trafficking is still a crime. Yes, of course. Like if you're forced into prostitution, criminalize pimps. That's a that's a sort of no that's, brainer. That right? should be a no brainer. <laughs> right. But I guess you really can't criminalize Johns because then you're taking away you're taking away work for sex workers, which you have right. now decriminalized. Right. I think if you I think you should decriminalize sex work for everybody and then when you should investigate potential cases of sex trafficking. Pimps are sex traffickers. Like that's that's what it is. They're not viewed as sex workers. They're not in the sex it's work a, industry. They are literally in the a, sex trafficking industry. Like the cartel does shit like that. Right. And I don't know if if it's even if there are even cases now where pimps are really first of all, our pimp is pimp the politically correct way to refer to these people that's what they said in the guardian okay well if they said it in the guardian i'm gonna go with <laughs> it's it like jesus said it. <laughs> yeah exactly i trust everything the guardian says um pimps are 
I think it's quite well known that there are r- very rare, if any, cases where pimps are truly protecting sex workers. There is no use for a pimp. I don't think there's a use for anything like that because, like, all the working girls now can use the internet totally. to solicit totally. their own business. They don't have to walk the street. They can, like, do their own... They can rent a separate apartment for right. their sex work, right? So it's, like, a lot safer in those senses. And then I think if they legalize it, then they can sort of control, like, identification. They mm-hmm. can, they can have a system where you're like, okay, yeah. you have to give me, like, two forms of ID before right. you can cut, like, a stranger. Yeah, and a, a lot of these, like, sites now that basically host... They don't necessarily say, like, you're going to get sex, but a lot of, like, the cases I've listened to as of late where sex workers were murdered, the sites have doubled down on protecting their own their own da- da- database well, of women. That, that makes sense because that's that I'm sure the women to advertise on the site have to pay a fee. So yeah, like, and they say, like, well, we didn't know that this was happening. We didn't know that this was going on. Like, this is what our site says it does. Like, the women obviously are still, like, human beings. They can decide to engage in other activities What once they meet up with these people. But this is what we can do, and we can do better background checks, and we can do this, and we can whatever. We can offer assistance. We can provide drivers who wait outside. Like, and a lot of them do that. So you're right. There is no need for this middleman person. No. In the age of the internet. And also just fucking get over Everyone needs to get over the moral, the bullshit, Victorian moral aspect of it. Because it's like, people should be able to do whatever they want. Is sex work legal in Europe? Uh, I think in a lot of places it's decriminalized, but not legal. But in Amsterdam, obviously, they have a famous red light district where it's legal. Right. But that's like the Nevada of Europe. All things. Of Europe. Well, yeah, weed too. All things. Yeah, but you can get weed in in Vegas now. So you can get weed and prostitutes. Yeah, I mean, like, I think they went about weed the right way. I think they should do it with everything. Like, Portugal decriminalized all drugs, and their drug addiction rates and drug crime rates went down. And people who are buying into the sex trafficking industry are obviously have more of a motive to do that because... They are rich, high-profile people with a lot of money, and they don't want to be known for doing something illegal. So they go the illegal route and buy buy people, literally, on the black market. Whereas, like, if it was decriminalized and it becomes part of normal life, then there's less stigma attached to it. Well, I think if it's legalized, there is no market for sex trafficking. Because right. now it's above board. Right. right. So, so come on, Joe. Come on, Joe. <laughs> Legalize prostitution and drugs. Hardy, you guys. Well, there you have it. This messy assed friend cest. I like friend cest. Did you make that up? Yeah, I did. It kind of fits. Don't you think? I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe and give us a rating. It really does help. And. You can officially look forward to episodes every single week. I'm saying it so I stick to it. But now that our lives have become a little less hectic and we have gotten through our birthdays, I am now a 30-year-old woman. Nils is 43. What, you don't want the people knowing? (laughs) 65. Nils is 43. I am 30. Fuck you, guy on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Our son is six. 
we all had our, our birthdays already. Our dog's going to be one. Yep, our dog's going to be one. My, sorry, my dog is Yeah, you you're a dog. Her. Yeah, so we've all gotten through our birthdays. Life is a little less hectic, and we can finally actually commit to a weekly podcast, which feels really good. But I appreciate all of you guys, no matter what, how long I've made you wait, you're always there watching, I mean, listening. Um, and the hope is to release YouTube videos with this eventually. Uh-uh. Why? You don't, have to, you don't want to do old. your makeup? Yeah, I'm too old. <laughs> um, so please support the show. The link is down in the show notes. Uh, there's a PayPal link. And yeah, I have lots of plans. I have lots of plans to do Patreon stuff. I have- do you get any PayPal? Where's my cut? <laughs> <laughs> no, literally, what the fuck? Also, I gave Harrison $10 for the book, the Scholastic Book Fair. Yeah, what do you do with it? He said he lost it in his room. Shut he up. He said it was in his room, now it's gone. And I thought, Sinead's taken it. I did not take mm. his $10. You Why cleaned his I... room yesterday, Why? frantically. <laughs> Why? And then suddenly stopped and then left the house. Why would I steal $10 from our six-year-old? What, it's my $10? Why would I steal your $10 from our six-year-old child? All right, finders keepers. Whoever finds a ten dollar bill keeps it. It's my ten dollars. Next week, I'll let me tell you a story. The case of the stolen ten dollars. Unbelievable. I'm not giving him money again for the rest of his life. I. Why would he? How did he lose it? I thought you gave it to him in his backpack. No, I gave it to him when we were eating dinner. Why would you do that? You said thanks. That's great. Next week, let me tell you a story. We just we discuss the parental crimes of giving your child a. $10 $10 bill. You said give Harrison some money. Yeah, I did. Yeah, so I did. I didn't mean give it to Next him in his week, hand. Um, <laughs> let me tell you a story. <laughs> Obeying your partner's like, directives. Anyways, uh, yeah, please Fuck. like and subscribe. Send me $10. <laughs> and yeah, support the show. You can follow us on Instagram. The links are always in the show notes to follow Nils and myself. And all the sources are down below as well. And we shall see you next week. Bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.